So let's stand for the reading of God's word. Again, I'm going to read from 1 Peter 5, and I'll begin by reading verses 5 and 6. Peter, carried along by the Holy Spirit, wrote these words, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Lord, the thought of you exalting us is so um, backwards and and mind-blowing. I pray, Father, that you would even now tend to your holy word. Holy Spirit, do a work in us. Bring us to a place of humility to see that wonderful attribute of what it means to be a follower of you. Reveal to us pride, Lord, in the, the deepest ways in which it is soaked and saturated into who we are. And do that work, Holy Spirit, of extracting it, of giving us eyes to see the heinousness of sin and the beauty of grace, the beauty and wonder of your glory as opposed to our own. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Peter jumps into humility, he has reminded these followers of Christ for a long time of who they are and that they have one primary identity, and that is saints, beloved children of the living God. And then he comes to this place where he begins to speak about humility. Three times in two verses, he references humility. In the first verse, chapter 5, 5, he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to elders. So that idea of being subject is an idea of humility. He then reveals that this is not just for young men, but it's for all. As he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And then in verse 6, he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Well, this is a passage that we know we need. Uh, Living this side of heaven, uh, we know we're not to be prideful people. We're to boast really in one thing, and that is Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. Yet we're so tempted to find our identity in many other things. Today we celebrate fathers. Uh, Some of you are fathers, some of you are grandfathers, and we again say Happy Father's Day. Sometimes though that is a mixed blessing. Uh, There are people today who are experiencing their first Father's Day without their earthly father here anymore. That's hard. I know what that feels like. Others have a strained relationship with their father. It's not what they wish it would be or could have been. And so we know that it's tender. But the picture of God as Father, the God of the universe, asking us to call him Abba is really amazing. Daddy. And some of you are going to celebrate what it means to be an earthly Abba. Already you've probably received gifts. Um, Some have received cards, handmade or purchased. Most of them tell lies you know, about how great you are, and you know, and they know, but it's still the right thing to do. There's nothing like being humbled by our children. I remember maybe five or six years ago, I was in a grocery store over on Inwood and Lovers, the old Simon David, and I saw a member from our church, and he was there with his five-year-old boy, and the five-year-old saw me, and his eyes got big because he was confused. Why aren't you wearing a robe, you know? And I'm in a grocery store and not right here. And as he looked at me, he came up to me and his dad followed and I I greeted them and said, hi. And I said, what are y'all doing? He said, well, my mom is with my two sisters for a a daughter and mom weekend. And so now I'm just with my dad. I said, you guys get to be just together, the two of you? How fun is that? 
And the boy looked at me and said, not really that much fun. All my dad does is watch TV <laughs> all the time. And I said, no, he doesn't really do that. Just what? No, I'm serious, all day long, except when he's at work. And I realized this is getting really bad. It's awkward for me. It's awkward for the dad. So I just left. <laughs> I just moved away. Good luck with all that. I don't even know if they're still here at the church anymore. Um, kids, we'll put us in our place. They don't mean to. They're just sometimes telling the truth as they see it. Uh, my second born graduated high school a little less than a month ago. And afterwards, she went to her uh, party that the school hosted and the rest of the family went to dinner. And while we were at dinner, I was just thinking about each of my children. The next will graduate in two years. And then I've got this eight year gap. And I have an incoming fourth grader and an incoming second grader. And I was doing the math about what year will Sammy graduate. And I told him, I said, Sammy, Maddie graduated in 2017. You're gonna graduate, and I said the number. And he just continued to eat, and he wasn't trying to be funny. And then he just looked up and he said, will you be alive? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will be alive. I'm confident of that. I might not know why I'm there. I might not be able to hear anything going on, but I'll have a good seat and I'll be there. Um, thanks for laughing with me, because we're going to go into this beautiful subject that God has given us. But, but instead of diving first into how, how sad and deep our pride is, I want to begin somewhere else for just a moment. That if you're in Christ, God is going to exalt you. That's important. That is true, the word says. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Then he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. The problem we have with pride is that we have perverted that exaltation. That's the issue. All who are in Christ, who truly are seeking to be people who are humble, who are in Christ, covered by him, one day we are going to be exalted. But like all things that are broken, we, we seek that exaltation in inappropriate ways this side of heaven. And those ways go very, very deep into us. And that's what Peter is unpacking. This morning, I'm going to look at just a couple phrases from these two verses, and I'm going to do some more next week. So I want to start with this phrase that Peter uses, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. So I want to talk about clothing ourselves with humility. I want to talk about what that means as it relates to humility and one another, us together, and then what does it mean in our relationship to the Lord? So first, clothe yourself with humility. This image of clothing, biblically speaking, is very prominent. From the very beginning of the Bible, you have the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, who have been created, and there's no sin, none. They are living in perfection. They are completely naked. They have no garments on them, and they don't know it. They're not ashamed. They're not embarrassed. They're not thinking about themselves in that way at all. Then the enemy, who fell because of pride, who wanted himself to be exalted, tempts Eve and tempts Adam. And she does it by saying, essentially, if you will eat this fruit, then you will be exalted. 
You'll be like God. How much higher could it get? And trickery is present. Wouldn't you want to be like God? And so seeing that the, the fruit of the tree was good, she took in deception and she gave some to her husband and they both ate. And the moment they ate the fruit, it says their eyes were open. They realized they were naked. So they hid from one another. So picture that. It really happened. This man and this woman who had, knew, had known no sin, who didn't have any sense of guilt or shame or fear, are now suddenly hiding from one another, embarrassed, humiliated, frightened. And what did they do? They made coverings for themselves. The best they could do, the best they could find, they sewed these leaves together to cover the privates. That's what they did. Then the Lord God enters back into the scene and God gives us his very first question in the Bible. Where are you? Satan is the one who asked the very first question. It was, did God really say? God now asks his first question. Where are you? Adam responds, we were afraid because we were naked, so we hid. God asked his second question, the third question of the Bible. Who told you you were naked? Imagine Adam's face. He then said, have you eaten? This is now God's third question. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to? Now listen to what happens. This, this man who was with this woman, who essentially was blessed by God as he gave her this helper, now blames God and blames the woman. This woman, you put here with me. That's how it went. That was the first man. God then in his grace slaughters, blood is shed, an animal, skins it, and then makes coverings for this man and woman. He clothes them with these skins, signifying for all who are in Christ one day, the King, Redeemer, will himself be killed. And we who are in Christ will be covered in his righteousness. The theme of clothing moves throughout Scripture. Paul uses it in his epistle many times, specifically to the Colossians. He says, clothe yourselves, dearly beloved, beloved and chosen, with humility, and he goes on a long list. Peter's word here is a little bit different, though. When he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility, he has a very specific image in mind. And now this is a letter going to sojourners, those who are in Christ, and he says, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, all of you. So this isn't just for some, it's for all. And what that means is, put on the apron of a slave. Put on the apron of a servant or put on the white cloth that a slave or a servant would wear signifying to the, the community, the world around them that I belong to someone else and as I belong to them, I am to serve them. That's what Peter has in mind. So what he's saying to believers is that the right way to dress themselves every day is to clothe themselves with humility. The apron literally was something that slaves would put on in order to cover their normal clothes so that they wouldn't get soiled by the work that they were doing. The white cloth again was just a sign that this is, this is who I am. I do belong to someone else. As we think about this journey, about this, this pilgrimage towards eternal life, Peter's words are for us too. 
And that is as we get ready each day, as we think about who we are and the life that we're to live, he is saying we must clothe ourselves with humility. But what does humility mean? What does it really mean to be a servant? I want to use two definitions, both from the same book. It's a a little book titled Humility by C.J. Mahaney. It's a wonderful book. It's modern. You can get it in our bookstore. This book, along with many of the greats, C.S. Lewis's section on pride and mere Christianity, Spurgeon's wonderful works on, on humility and pride, Tim Keller's sermon, Blessed Self-Forgetfulness, which we also have in print in the bookstore. Those are wonderful resources. So I want to define humility from this little book and pride from this little book. He says, C.J. Mahaney says, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. So what that means is whenever we are dressing ourselves, whenever we are seeking to live the life that we've been called to live, what we need to remember always is who God is, that he's holy, he is set apart, he is transcendent. Architecture years ago, really throughout centuries for holy space, holy places, was meant that when an individual walked into a sanctuary, their eyes would be lifted up. Something would cause them to to move away from just being horizontal, but really the vertical, that I'm entering into a time and space where I'm going to be focused on something that is set apart, that is sacred, that is transcendent. That's really our desire every time we gather together, that you would have a sense that this is different than any other place you enter during the week, that what you're thinking about experiencing is really lifting your eyes up that it's transcendent because God is transcendent. He is holy. He is sacred. He is set apart. But he is also present, omnipresent. He is living inside us. That's what we must remember as we come into a sanctuary as of a place of worship. That's what's real. So C.J. Mahaney is saying humility is this recognition that God is holy along with the fact that we are sinful people. Now, sinner is not our primary identity. Once we're in Christ, sinner is not our primary identity. We are sinners saved by grace. We are sinners who can say we're actually saints, not because of our performance, but because of Christ. So the right way of understanding this is that, yes, I am the beloved child of God. One day after I go into eternity, I will be with him in perfection. I will sin no more. This side of heaven, I'm still going to struggle with the spirit and the flesh. I'm going to commit sins. I'm going to have prideful thoughts and actions. God never will. He's holy and set apart. I will grow and change. He can't grow and change. The holiness side is permanent and stable. My identity is permanent, but my life doesn't look like it. But one day it will be, ultimately, the perfection of what I've been made for. That's important. So humility is having an honest understanding of who he is and who we are. Now, if you are not yet in Christ, that identity of sinner is true for you still. And may this be the day that the Lord would say, I have come to save you from that. There's freedom in me. But for all who are in Christ, we must remember he's holy. 
We are his beloved children. That should humble us. Now, I want to read the definition that C.J. Mahaney gives for pride. He says, pride is when sinful human beings aspire. So it's a desire. It's what we're aspiring towards. Is when human, sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon him. I'm going to read that one more time so you can soak it in. Pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon him. Whenever we sense there's pride in our life, which is every day, if we're honest, we don't struggle much to tell others that that's a sin. There's other sins we would probably never confess publicly. Do you know why? Because of pride. But saying I'm prideful doesn't really shock us. I think we need to rethink what pride is. And maybe even stop confessing pride with that word, but instead confess it with what it really means. Instead of saying, I have pride in this area, say, I want to be exalted in this area. I want to be praised. I want people to be in awe of me. That's what it really is. And when we begin to sense it in more narrative, we can see that pride really is foolish. It's actually ridiculous. It's gross. It is wanting ourselves to be exalted. Well, guess what? You were made to be exalted. You and I were made to be exalted by the living God. But what happens is, like all things because of sin, that has been perverted. And so let's go back to the wardrobe. Let's go back to your closet. When you are called to put on that apron of humility or the white cloth of humility, the temptation for you is to add to that which is already yours. Here's what I mean. Pride is born. This is a very important phrase. Pride is born when we believe that our union with Christ is not enough. Pride is born when we believe our union with Christ, our primary identity in Christ, is not enough. And what that means is that we begin to feel the need to add to that wardrobe things that will enable us to get the exaltation of other people. What are some of those things in the wardrobe? Let's talk through a few. Our position. We begin at an early age to keep score and to understand where we are in position. Little league teams, all the way up and throughout our life, our position can begin to be something that we dress ourselves with in order to feel something that we are not willing to feel just by being in union with Christ. Whatever position you hold beyond your primary position of being a beloved child of God is secondary. How great an athlete you are or were, how wealthy you are or might become, Whatever position or positions that you hold, they all are secondary other than the one primary position of being the beloved son of the living God. 
If He is not enough, if in Christ is not enough for you, then you're going to seek to dress yourself with these other garments that will seek to bring an inappropriate form of exaltation. It might not just be our position, where we rank. It could also be our possessions, what we have. Whether it's cars, homes, clothing, spiritual gifts. And the crazy thing is, pride goes so deep that we can have inappropriate affection and a desire for exaltations, not only in possession saying, look at what I have, but we actually can go the opposite side and look what I don't have. I could afford a bigger house. I could drive a nicer car. I'm not going to. But at the center of it, if we're not careful, it's still the same issue of pride. Exalt me, either for what I have or what I could have but don't have. Pride is vicious. Maybe it's not just your position or possessions, but also connections. Have you ever been around a name dropper? I have, let me name him. No, name dropping happens everywhere. People just finding some sense of exaltation in the people that they know. The only person that matters eternally that you know is the one who saved you, Jesus Christ. I don't care how famous or how powerful or how closely connected you are or could be, it's all secondary. And if in your wardrobe each day you are not finding satisfaction in your union with Christ alone, you're tempted to add that on. You might say it in social circles. Knowledge, brain power, being smart is another thing that we can place as an identity. If Christ and being in Christ is not enough, you begin to seek to impress people with your ability to recall complicated, deep thinking quotes. And in some sense, the more you do that, the more exalted you feel because people are saying how smart you are. Knowledge is not something to clothe yourself with. Knowledge is not wrong, but it's never your identity. It's not to be. Knowledge can go a different direction. What I mean by that is being in the know. There are people who really find a lot of identity and finding out information earlier or being able to say, oh, did you not know? The sense of I'm in the know and you are not. The list could go on and on, and it does. It could be your family. It could be your career. Last one I'll mention, though, is performance. How many people really don't find their satisfaction in their union with Christ alone? And so it really is based upon their performance. And their performance could be in anything. Sports, academics, career, the performance of your children or grandchildren. It just goes on and on and on. And again, it's, it's not wrong to want to achieve and to be excellent for the glory of God, but that's only a secondary identity. I think for the sake of Christ, we should seek excellence. But because of who we already are permanently, not because we're trying to add to something in our wardrobe that would make us be exalted. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. This is about the horizontal now. And what Peter is saying is as you look at one another, as you journey together, 
You're to clothe yourself with humility. Paul said it this way, consider other people better than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The only way that can happen is if we truly understand who we already are in our permanent identity with Christ, which leads to what it means to relate to God. What I'm about to share in closing is this. The only way in which we could ever battle pride is by seeing who we already are in Christ. And how does Peter describe God? He says, again, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So Peter gives us two aspects of God, and I'm going to unpack this more next week. First, God opposes the proud. And the reason is because the proud are seeking to find their identity in something other than him, just like Adam and Eve. So we could say that because God opposes the proud, he is an enemy of pride. He is an enemy of the proud. You don't want God to be your enemy. And his grace is sufficient. It's so sufficient that his covering us in his son Jesus gives us the freedom to say, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you're not in Christ Jesus, he is your enemy. Pray for mercy from God that you might come to saving faith in him. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That is why Chad's introduction to the baptism was so beautiful. We are to go to the Lord only covered in Christ, not anything else added, just the humility of what it means to be a desperate, needy person who brings nothing to the table, who simply trusts in Jesus. But this is the part that blows my mind. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Just picture that. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Our problem with pride is that we are seeking to be exalted because we're not satisfied in our union with Christ. When we seek to be exalted, to be lifted up by someone other than the Lord, pride is at place, and God is an enemy of that. What does he do? He calls us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and at the proper time, he is going to exalt us. What does that look like? I don't know. We have glimpses of it. And one of the glimpses is that of a song. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He goes on to then say, He will rejoice over you with loud singing. I've been a father for 21 years in one day. My oldest had her birthday yesterday. It's gone fast, really fast. At the right time, the cake and candles were brought out, 
and we, the Davises, sing happy birthday. It's never pretty. It's not glorious, except for what is motivating it. And it is at a moment when we are singing and saying to our daughter and a sister, we're glad he made you. We are rejoicing over you, not because you have been obedient, not because you have gifts, not because you bring something to the table. We're just excited that you were made and that he knit you together in her womb. You're our daughter. But our singing isn't perfect. And our exaltation isn't perfect either. But for those who are in Christ, the living God rejoices over you with singing. And Zephaniah describes that not only as just singing, but with loud singing. What does the voice of God sound like as he rejoices over you? No praise that you would ever receive from another human being will ever be perfect. And that's one of the reasons we keep seeking it because there's an insatiable desire for it that can never be satisfied. But the Lord rejoicing over you when he does, it is perfect. And when he does it, it's because of your union with his son. That union is perfect. You are his beloved. Is that enough for you? Is that enough? If it is not, you will be tempted to clothe yourself with other things. Those other things will never satisfy. So play the song we are about to sing over and over again in your head. Because that song asks the question, how can this holy God love me this much? Lord Jesus, thank you for this moment, this time and space. And thank you for humbling yourself even to the point of death and death on a cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you did not come to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for men. Lord, we pray that you would be honored by what we now sing. Would you enable us to be present just a little bit longer and to actually think about these words and to think about them deeply. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.